The Imprint Companion Podcast is, of course, brought to you by Imprint Films. Imprint Films is a brand new Australian boutique Blu-ray label. Check them out for limited edition deluxe Blu-ray releases of long-requested and previously unreleased films. Check out the past and future releases online at imprintfilms.com.au. You can follow Imprint Films on Twitter at imprint underscore films or one word on Instagram at imprint films, no space. And finally on the Facebook page at imprint films AU. Hello and welcome to the Imprint Companion, a officially endorsed podcast that goes through Australia's latest and greatest and brand spanking newest boutique Blu-ray label. I am one of your hosts, Blake Howard. Joining me as always is my terrific and also liquor-swilling co-host, Alexi Toliopoulos. Alexi, welcome back to another Imprint Companion for August. It is my pleasure to be here talking about physical media, the most gorgeous thing that you can hold in your hand because not only does it contain a disc, but upon that disc that you shall put into your selected player of choice, it shall contain a work of majestic art known as motion picture. I I, I could I could hear you wax lyrically and explain <laughs> Simple things forever. Yes, this is... It is my greatest pleasure. Uh, this is this is Australia's only podcast, only and greatest podcast on DVD culture. We are thrilled to yes. be bringing you yet another Imprint Companion. This is the August batch. We have just done episode one of August, which is Imprint um, spine numbers six, seven, and eight, which were When Worlds Collide, No Way to Treat a Lady, a place in the sun. And now we pick up with spines nine and 10 in the August batch, the carpet baggers and night falls on Manhattan. Let's kick off. I'm going to kick off talking about. It is unlikely that you will experience in your lifetime. All that you will see in the carpet baggers. Which is for folks, if you don't, if you've never heard of it before, all I will say is, there was such a thing called the Hayes Code in the United States of America, which mm-hmm. governed, uh, which governed basically the output of motion pictures, so that were not to corrupt uh, the population for many years, and it had a stranglehold on the studio system. It's one of the reasons why the studio system crumbled, and when they mm-hmm. ran out of money, went completely broke, and started throwing money at all a whole bunch of young filmmakers to make films. Um, you know that that's sort of kicked off the new Hollywood and all those great films and classics, the Chinatowns, the Godfathers, the Jaws, the, the, you know, there's so many, but there is a film that we get to talk about this week, which is spine number nine called the carpet baggers, which was made in 1964. And this movie is basically one of the reasons why the Hayes code fell over and crumbled in the mm. face of modern America. It's based on Harold Robbins' controversial and best-selling novel, inheriting his father's explosives company, Young Tycoon, Jonas Cord's rise to power is ruthless as he adds a Hollywood studio to his empire and morphs his stepmother into a self-destructive starlet with no scruples in romance nor business. His old friend, Nevada Smith, knocks some sense into him. Man, this is a story that is so much... Um, a, a proto Howard Hughes movie starring George Papard, Alan Ladd, Bob Cummins, mm-hmm. and Carol Baker. It's it's 
I, I, I had a ton of fun with this one. Wow, I think that this is a smutty, smutty movie <laughs> and you're a naughty boy for having this much fun with it. <laughs> this was a dirty picture. It was. It was a dirty picture. And what's so funny is for folks who, you know, I've mentioned it in the last show a couple of times, but like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the great Rick Dalton played mm. by Leonardo DiCaprio talks about he was in the running with George Papad to play McQueen's character yeah. in The Great Escape, which is fun. George Papad, of course, probably most most notably uh, in the A-Team um, for folks who you know, have mm-hmm. any familiarity with TV. But this is a young and strapping Gosh. and good-looking George Papad. And this movie is a drinking, like, lady betting, like, amoral thing and it is about a guy who my gosh he he has absolutely no scruples whatsoever he is scrupulous Mm -hmm. there i i couldn't identify a single scruple in this movie um even from this movie has got zero scruples (laughs) in it okay this is this is ma for no scruples allowed (laughs) and can i i like you're you love george papard so much i in this movie Alexi, because I was like used to the bloated, like later on mm. guy from the 18th. And so when you see yeah. him, like the strapping. Or Breakfast at Tiffany's as like a kind of yeah. lovely romantic lead. Yeah, no, like, so now he's like strapping, aggressive, has that, um, mm. has that sort of incredible like uh, intensity. And I, I, this, this movie is a Howard Hughes sort of proto movie where mm. it has a young character played by George Papad. Jonas, who his 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 dad dies, he inherits an incredible fortune, and he just starts gambling on himself. And it's just <laughs> it's just watching like a one percenter with who inherits a whole stack of money, like just keep double downing on this like gamble for for a whole bunch of new things, whether it's movie studios, whether it's like production, mm. whether it's um, uh, aviation. And so you watch this guy basically live his whole life and uh, abandon any choice of family and goes yeah. to professionalism, which, uh, you know, I kind of respect that in a character. And he, he just abandons all of that. And I just kind of love that this movie has such a, like, it's such a bleak look on just almost everyone everyone's out for themselves there's no real morality everyone who seems mm. to be moral is always in it for, for in it to win it in it for a bit of scratch everyone like gets a second chance and then blows it completely i, I kind of dug this movie for just like it, it's out and out it actually is really disappointed me in the end of the movie because it actually ended with some kind of tiny semblance of hope and i was like no you've you've been such mm. a bleak Thing this whole time i was just hoping that it went completely all out and was completely desolate but maybe that was a movie for a few years later my god blake to see you light up like this over this movie and george papard i must declare you you're a papardophile <laughs> it's official you're a papardophile I, I i am just I, i'm hoisted <laughs> by my own papard and um <laughs> and, and i i i just i look I love, and we talked about it a little bit with Waterloo as a movie mm. that kind of killed a certain way of making movies. The yeah. Carpet Baggers is a movie that kind of killed old school movie making. Like anything that would have even yeah. been remotely, um, especially at this time, like a Howard uh, Hughes proto movie, like about a young, um, you know, young billionaire industrialist, mm. etc., would have maybe played a bit safer, maybe idolized him a bit more, but this is so just yes. completely uh, nasty about nasty. it, which is good. Yeah, I'm like, I'm in. The nastier, the better. It kind of like it. It has that same kind of thing like Citizen Kane, where you are seeing like this, this kind of like rich 
this guy who is like everything in the world, just seeking more. And I like that you see him kind of tackle all these like kind of different industries. I thought this was not exactly my cup of tea, but I thought that it was very beautiful in its aesthetic. I love the way that it looked. Yes. It's got one of my favorite character actors of this era in it, Martin Balsam, Martin Balsam from baby. Psycho. I love I love looking at him because he looks like my papu, but <laughs> I think that I, I anytime that he pops up, I'm like, okay, this is a quality picture. And I think this George Papad performance, it is really interesting. It is really interesting to hear, to see him play this fucking Oh, asshole. He's a, Sorry for swearing. I don't normally swear on this podcast. No, he's an a-hole. He, he's, he's, as, he's as big uh, an effing a-hole as you could get. Like, and and just mm. is completely forthright with it. Like, he's he's paying off people and he, he kind of, he, he lifts people up around him and then the minute that they kind of are like, I'm done. I can't keep this pace. I don't think we should do this. He then just like whips mm. out a dossier of all the bad shit that they've ever done and how he's paid off all of their troubles. And he's like, but yeah, no, don't worry. Just leave. It's fine. And you're just like, this guy's nasty. And so I kind of dug the nastiness because it just was, it was unapologetic. Um, and, and there's a pretty incredible scene, um, a chandelier scene in the movie where Carol Mm. Baker's Rena, who Carol Baker is absolutely gorgeous. Um, uh, it plays his stepmother who was actually George Papad's, girlfriend and his industrialist dad stole her from him so she then sort of chased money and went after him and you see you hear a lot of stuff like that going on even to this day and i'm like when it's in a movie i'm like (laughs) yes explore this explore this (laughs) explore this grossness right and it's yes and there's a scene in the movie where she's like partying in paris like blowing her essential inheritance from the death of her husband and she's on Mm. a chandelier basically stripping and the chandelier falls down and then she's hospitalized and it's like a really insane like uh you know people people in this movie they make gambles they don't really self-improve they fail Mm. and i kind of like i for me like when i'm when i was watching this i i didn't think they made movies like this until later and so that was what was absolutely right to me so i was that's why i'm i think you know the the overall quality you're definitely going to see some stuff that's dated you're definitely going to see some stuff that you might like Eh, it's okay but i think the the strength of the papad performance for me and just the themes and just you know, like Citizen Kane still has this hope that Charles Foster Kane is like a figure to be admired. And this movie mm. has none of that. Like it is just like, yes. no, it's gone. It, by this time, 1964, people have that opinion of like, no, a billionaire industrialist is a bad person. Mm. And as well, like the the more like erotic moments of this movie, <laughs> it yeah. is fascinating to see like not ex- I mean they're not sex scenes but to see scenes of kind of dirty passion like this or kind of like more gray area love scenes um in technicolor I it's something new almost like yeah. I've not seen this before yeah. or like in this kind of classic hollywood mode where it, it, it's it's interesting it's really interesting for that to see this kind of like really, really push right up against that boundary of the Hays Code and definitely break through it at points. Oh, definitely, definitely. And look, it's it's the, the only unfortunate thing I would say about this one is um, uh, it's it doesn't... It, there is an audio commentary with um, a film historian, Kat Allinger. I didn't get a chance to listen to the commentary yet, but mm. um, but it doesn't come with too many other special features. It's just... It, it's sort of just like a 1080p 
you know, presentation for the Blu-ray is basically that and then and other little features. Um, it, it does have a very, uh, a very suggestive first cover where he's like forcing yes. himself upon a woman in sort of a classical matte painting and then a very sort of, very sort of Godfather One-esque, you know, like uh, mm. him sitting in his chair and like having a dame behind him um, as the internal yeah, slipcover. Yeah, it shows the power. And also on the outer slipcover, let me tell you this, dead center on the back, oh, yeah, Martin that- Balsam. Papu! <laughs> there we go, my papu right there on the back. Um, I, yeah, this one, it wasn't my favorite, but there's enough in there. And if you're a film history nerd, there's plenty in here oh. to explore. And some really good, uh, just, just speaking on another one of, you know, Alexi and I both have other, many other podcasts and I was really lucky enough to speak to a terrific film critic named Glenn Kenny, um, for one of my mm. upcoming shows. And Glenn was like, there's some great reading when I saw, I actually was talking to him about the carpetbaggers and, um, yeah. Yeah, he said there's some great reading out there and some terrific reviews and talking about its place mm. in history. So seek that out. Do some googling. It's 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 worth your time. But look, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna keep this one more second away from what we've both been dying to talk about in this batch. Spy number for ten for weeks now. Spy for number weeks 10. now, we've been looking forward to spy oh. number ten. Oh my god, which is Sydney Lumet's. I guess Sydney Lumet's like un known future unheralded classic yes night falls on manhattan his films have touched our conscience and challenged our minds now one of the greatest directors of our time pushes the limits again whose father is laying up there with tubes coming out of every hole he's got and who put him there between truth and corruption. Cops from three precincts were in business with my client. Guilt. I'm saddened to announce the indictment this morning of five police officers on charges of bribery and dealing in narcotics. And innocence. If their lips are moving, they're lying. Conviction and compromise. It wasn't supposed to happen to me. It's not supposed to happen to any of us. Andy Garcia, Richard Dreyfus. Swear to me right here, Pop. You're clean. John Casey is just another mm. idealistic assistant DA until his prosecution of a cop-killing drug lord catapults him into the center of New York's tempestuous political arena. This is like, I don't know where to begin, honestly, because Sidney Lumet is one of my all-time heroes. Yeah. Uh, his films meant so much to me growing up, especially like he's urban features like his films about new york city and how he examined it through different ways like courtroom dramas and through police like detective movies i'm sitting next to a serpico poster to my right right now and i I, serpico dog day network prince of the city the verdict mm -hmm. i mean come on 12 angry men and i feel like this movie blends a lot of those into one thing in a way that I hadn't seen him do before. And this is like a kind of like mid to late 90s film. This is from 1996 and it has like the most monster cast. Andy Garcia as this young DA who we kind of see rise through the ranks very quickly. Um, 
and it's a magnificent performance. I love Andy Garcia. He's another one of my favorite actors who I think that no one brings passion like he does to a film. He's got this kind of like obviously like this kind of raw masculine sexiness about him. But I love the way that that's always channeled into something, into like kind of an ambition or power. And the way that it's kind of done in this is like, this kind of forced ambition where he is ambitious, but then he's forced to be even more ambitious than he's meant to be. Yes. And I think that it is a magnificent performance from him. And everyone in this movie is acting their freaking like at the top of their game to the point where an unbelievable thing is in this movie that Andy Garcia is the son of Ian Holm. May the great actor rest in peace. (laughs) But I cannot believe that they cast these two people to be related as father and son. And there's a delightful moment because between them, they convince you that they're father and son, even though none of these men who apparently have lived in New York their entire <laughs> life, neither of them are native New Yorkers. Andy, Andy Garcia has always got a Cuban accent. <laughs> Ian Holm is not like Ian Holm is so English. You can't, I don't, and, I don't ever think and, of him as American. You know, I, I have to think of, you know, that's the thing with Ian Holm, but. God, for for so much of the movie, he nails that Queen's accent, right? Like, he just kills it. Absolutely. He, he kills it. He kills it. And you believe them as father and son. You believe every moment they have together. And that is, like, an astonishing achievement because I think Cena Lumet is a great director of two things, which is all you really need. He's a great director of actors, one yes. of the great director of actors, at coaching actors through things, giving them enough time to giving them enough time and space to collaborate and bring themselves to the project and what they need for their performance. But also he's a great director of the written word. He's a great writer's director yeah. as well. Yeah. And I think that this film is like evident of those two things. But I just want to say one thing about the father and son relationship. Because it is unbelievable that they're father and son. It like, is. You can't, you can't believe it. Yeah. And then there's one moment where they visit the wife's grave, yes. his mother's grave, and they give her the name Maria Nunes Casey yeah. to just go, <laughs> yes, everything from the other side of the family is Latinx. Yeah. That's where every part of Andy Garcia comes from, <laughs> is from the mother. And I was just like, that is delicious. Thank you so much for explaining <laughs> to explaining how and, this could and, exist. And doing it so perfectly because they have to have this great confrontation in the movie and he's just like, mm. I'm going to put it at a gravestone and just doing that touch. It's just like, I've explained yeah. all of the doubt, any of the doubt. I want yeah. To talk about this cast because yes, it is because it's monsters. Everyone's a monster in this movie. It's Andy Garcia, Ian Holm, James Gandolfini, pre Sopranos. You've got uh, my one of my favorites, Dominic Chinese, also from The Sopranos and Godfather Part Two. Richard Dreyfus, like you've never seen him before, yeah. playing uh, the person, the the defense, and I. Really, probably the best role of Ron Liebman's entire career, Easily. who is a great supporting actor always and a great character actor. But this might be the most substantial role that I've seen from him. Yes. Maybe this and Slaughterhouse-Five uh, come to mind. But he is the previous DA that is on his way out as Andy Garcia is on the way in. And he's like, I, I love this performance by him. It's the performance of the entire movie for me where he is like – this very strong and stern fatherly figure for Andy Garcia yeah. who takes a shining to him very quickly but can also see how 
bringing this person through the ranks will benefit his career um, and benefit his legacy as well. And having but, that but also, stern father figure, but also he's funny throughout the whole movie as well. So, like he, as a character, literally tells jokes. He's, he's so funny. But then there's this moment where he's he's sort of struggling with um, a, an illness and... Mm. When he when he brings Andy Garcia through, he's so fond of him, fond of him, and he sees him ascending through the ranks, and sees him nearly basically taking the reins that he's left, and he and he looks so devastated about that. Yes, he looks so, like and- I can't believe I've I've destined you to this, and this movie has like such subtlety and those tones, and every every character feels so just spot on that uh, like this, this floored me. Like I know that, you know, within print, we're going to be talking a lot about classic movies and things that like blow us away and like blind spots, but like mm. it feels stupid for Alexi and I to have missed the Sydney Lumet movie, even more stupid that it's like yes. a 1996 Sydney Lumet movie with all of these people that we love so much in it. But this movie just blew me out of my socks. Mm, absolutely. And it's, it's really interesting as well because, you know, you when you think about Sydney Lumet, you think about the classics from the 60s and the 70s. Yes. That's where your mind goes. That's the image it conjures of Sydney Lumet. And it is like this, those urban set New York films. Yes. And the way he plays with like what working class people are like and how they and how cops are kind of like throughout all of them at, throughout all the classes they have to interact with everyone on the city whether they be someone who lives on the streets or someone that lives in like the upper crust and how they kind of intersect through everything and how corruption intersects all yes and it was fascinating to see how contemporary this movie felt oh, yeah. because this did feel like, you know, like that kind of like exciting 1970s period Sidney Lumet, but it felt tremendously modern. Like I think the way that he, like he incorporated like modern crime and modern cop corruption in this, in this film, it, 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 you could have told me that this was the first film of like a new classic, like a new independent American filmmaker or, and I would believe that too because it feels urgent in that way. So it's almost surprising that this is like a Sidney Lumet film because it feels like what the new Sidney Lumet would be making <laughs> at this time, not like this older man who's still making it feel fresh and exciting. Yeah, it's it's like... It's the same thing when you look back and you go, you know, I think it happens in the Western genre a lot where you go like Clint Eastwood mm. made Westerns for like many, many years and he comes back and makes Unforgiven and that's like the definitive yeah. Western of his whole career. And this kind of feels like one of the definitive New York movies. I mean, I know that later on he makes Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, which again is another terrific, terrific, Great movie. terrific film. But but And he's got another t- tremendous uh, gangster courtroom film right after, right before The Devil Knows You're Dead in Find Me Guilty starring Vin Diesel uh, <laughs> with a wig on. The one movie that Vin Diesel has hair oh, in. Oh my goodness. But look, this, if you were one of those folks who start buying the batches and getting all of the batches like mm. Alexi and I are for imprint, like we are sort of obsessed with this. If you, if, if you had spent money on a batch, 
there is one special feature that is in this lot that is worth the entire price of the entire mm. batch. And it is the Sydney Lumet director's commentary on Night Falls on Manhattan. And I, it is something that I was telling Alexi before we started the show and he demanded that I shut up and wait until we recorded, which was, I've already listened to it twice. It is wow. unbelievable. His, his mind is incredible. Just if you are a, an emergent, if you're someone who wants to make films and you want to make films on the cheap and you want to, you want to see what a master would tell you about just like cautionary tales of when you shoot in live locations and why it's difficult, why it's hard, why it costs less to maybe get it made on a studio. If you're making an independent film, etc., um, to get the angles you need to get the coverage you need to do it in mm. a quick amount of time. Um, he, he has this elaborate, and, and very vivid memory of every single element of what he's talking about. But man, this was a heartbreaking listen because he is talking, Sidney Lumet, who's now passed away, is talking about James Gandolfini a couple of years before he emerges as basically the seminal prestige television actor and character of our time as Tony Soprano on HBO's Sopranos. And he's like, he's talking about, you know, Jimmy, he came to acting late. And just hearing Sidney Lumet talking about James Gandolfini and mm. how he had this magic that was unquantifiable um, and how he gave him a big chunky role based on another bit role that he had, like five lines in another Lumet movie, but he wanted him to give him a really tragic role in this movie. And just him talking about the Ron Liebmans and the Dominic Chianisis and, mm. and, and Lena Olin and Ian Holm and the specificity of the yeah. accent. And and even Sheikh Mam uh, Sheikh Mahmoud Bay, who plays um uh, who plays Jordan Washington, oh. who's the the basically the bad drug dealer in this, just he's just that's a great performance too. That is really oh. an exceptional, exciting kind of antagonist performance. So good. And it look, he, he's he's him talking about all of the orchestration, all of the acting, the way that he writes the characters, the qualities of Andy Garcia being a guy that you could believe would be a cop and a priest. Um, and mm -hmm. a lawyer and nails it. Wow. And, and, and it's, it's just, it's superb. Like I, like if there's, you know, sometimes there are, I think physical media nuts like us, like there's, there is literally mm. nothing better than a great commentary. And I, I would almost mm. put it up there in some of the best commentaries I've ever heard because hearing wow. a, the great man Sidney Matt talk about how to make movies, you just go, man, uh, this is like a, this is better than any film school lecture you're ever going to get is listening yeah. to him. He's incredible. And I would also say, if you are a young filmmaker and you want to make movies, Sidney Lumet's book on directing yeah. is the best book on directing. Yes. Uh, and also, like, I think that is, like, a that's a prescription text for anyone interested in filmmaking. Yes. He is one of the great filmmakers of all time. And I think that this is very exemplary, exemplary of what I want from a boutique Blu-ray label yes. is that I want discovery. And yeah. sometimes discovery is a movie like no way to treat a lady that I've never heard of that blows my mind that a movie can do what it does in what it does with tone and the way that it plays with it and being such this weird mix mishmash of things that somehow feels cohesive in the end, but all it can be a new favorite movie that will be in my top X favorite films of all time. Yeah. And this one is a very rare example of a film by one of my favorite filmmakers that not only had I not seen before, but I 
had somehow never heard of this movie before. Yeah. It had never been on my radar before. And it has like this monster cast that are all in top fine form. Like Richard Dreyfus is in this movie. I didn't know Richard Dreyfus did a Sidney Lumet film and was like a an incredible supporting role in Sidney Lumet film. I didn't know that. And, and, sp- I, this and is spends like, at least half of his scenes in a sauna with Andy Garcia. I mean, is yes. what do we have to tell you people about this movie? It's how is that not my freaking Twitter cover photo for my entire time? Is Andy Garcia looking gorgeous, half nude, steaming it up next to a freaking like <laughs> a middle-aged Richard Dreyfus sweating his gaudy head out. <laughs> How have I not seen that? Uh, I, and I think it's this a, is it's a, a rare example it, it, of it, discovery of something time. that I feel like I should have well, known forever. And it is kind of criminal that this is not known at all as like a Lumet classic or at least second-tier classic because I really think that this will get, hopefully get people to know about this movie a bit more, to watch it, appreciate it. Because, you know, the guy's already made like, you know, probably five or six masterpieces <laughs> that will always be his legacy films. Yep. You can't top Network. You can't top Serpico. Can't top you can't Dog top Day. Dog Day. You can't top 12 Angry Men, The Verdict. Those are like actual all-time classic masterpieces. And I think it's that second tier for filmmakers like your Lumets, your Scorsese's, uh, your friends of a Coppola's that top tier is unbeatable. But then when you get to that second tier of films, you find some really interesting films. Yeah. And this is like that discovery for me right now. Um, I've been dying for A, for us to record this podcast, but B, for the date, August 26th to come up, for this entire batch mm. to come out because I really, really am dying to do a movie night with a few people. And it's like, if you can't do yes. that, if you can't do that because of the situation that we're in, you know, precautions with COVID-19 and the pandemic, um, I, I think like just knowing that someone can get their hands on it, like, you know, digitally, like just get it delivered to their house, like jump on Amazon yeah. or imprint.com.au. Um, imprintfilms.com.au and buy it and get it shipped to their house then and just be like you need to watch this so that we can then talk about it i've been yeah. so excited so i've been this is i've been Same. most excited to talk to you about this movie but especially because now people can get their hands on it yeah and i would love to hear people what their thoughts are on night falls on manhattan so talk to blake and i on twitter at this is alexi at blake what well, i keep getting a thing at one blake minute one blake minute um, Let me just get that for you. I'll just say that. Yeah. So talk to Blake and I online on Twitter. I'm at This Is Lexi. He's at One Blake Minute. And this is a movie that I'm just keen to hear people talk about. So talk to us online about it. Oh, my God. That is this batch. Imprint spine numbers six through ten in both episodes. You've heard the second episode now. Um, thank you guys so much for subscribing and listening and sharing and doing all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um before we dive in um, really quickly to to preview this absolutely incredible October lineup in both imprint TV and imprint films, um, Alexi and I have two copies on Blu-ray of the incredible Outer Limits complete series, Proto Black Mirror in the in the same realm as the Twilight Zone series box sets mm-hmm. to give away, and we want to see your physical media collection. So. If you go to this is Alexi or One Blake Minute on Insta or on Twitter and you hashtag Imprint Companion, take a snap of of your physical media collection, that delicious physical thing that you can nurture that no one can take away from you, mm-hmm. 
and point out where you're going to stick a copy of The Outer Limits. And then uh, we, our favorite ones, Alexia and I will confer and we'll um, announce them in the next shows in the upcoming October batch, but we'll send them out to the winners well before then. So um, mm-hmm. that that is something that is definitely happening. Anything else you want to say about that, my friend? Uh, I would say tag us in it. Let us see it. I'm dying to see your collections and compare them to my own. I will pop mine up as well. Uh-oh. If mine's the best one, I'm going to keep that out of limits for myself. <laughs> <laughs> we just decide. Alexis is the best, everyone. That's it. Uh, cool. Um, look, yeah. we've got – there is an absolute epic – Epic, epic, epic October collection. Maybe even going to go out into three episodes um, because it's so I think that we'll have to put it in three episodes and I'm going to beg you to let us space it out because there's no... We've done well watching all of these movies in preparation for these last few episodes, but this is going to be quite the Herculean Herculean task to get through the amount of cinematic goodness that is deluging towards us in the next pack. There is a total of 13 discs in the set, in like the whole pack coming alone. But then we've also got the debut of Imprint TV, which is Hammer House of Horror, the complete series on three discs. This is the complete like Hammer Horror Anthology TV series that is full of incredible stuff, including Peter Cushing, Denham Elliott, Brian Cox, uh, actors that appear in it. I've never seen any of this before. I'm a Hammer Horror fan, and this is new for me. Totally new Very for me exciting too. to get on hands on, to get my hands on it. Uh, but this is like a boutique TV box, not unlike The Outer Limits, and just in time for Halloween, I might add. Just in time for Halloween, and not only. What is else? What else is going to be in time for Halloween is the actual imprint bundle. So on the twenty sixth, you're going mm-hmm. to get the TV bundle. On the twenty eighth, the October bundle. And let me just read out the titles to you: Sam Peckinpah's Major Dundee, both versions of the film starring Charlton Heston. Huge, absolutely huge, epic. absolutely epic. Danger Diabolique is is coming. A sixty psychedelic snapshot from Mario Bava. This is a horror maestro. Yeah. Day of the Locust. Which is a classic from John Schlesinger, which is kind of a Hollywood satire. Uh, It's a great movie. John Schlesinger, another one of my favorite filmmakers, Midnight Cowboy, one of my top five movies of all time. And then this is the big ticket item that I think is going to be imported all around the world. It is the debut film from Paul Thomas Anderson, 1997's Hard Eight. Starring and, Philip Baker Hall and John C. Riley, and for all you real P- Sam Jackson, and for for all you real PTA diehards, yes, we mean Sydney. We mean the movie yes. that he wanted to call Sydney. That is called Hard Eight. That is what it's called. We so we we jump then from Paul Thomas Anderson's debut to The Winslow Boy, which is an adaption by David Mamet of a British classic novel. We've got Bob Hope. Interesting. We've got a Bob Hope collection which is two comedy thrillers, The Cat and the Canary and The Ghost Breakers. And then a freaking... Which is interesting to see. I'm a, I'm a Bob Hope fan. I'm interested to see what's next. And but then this film noir. big box set. Wow. This film noir box set, wow. Which in it contains Framed, Alias Nick Beale, Detective Story and The Garment Jungle. Uh, I'm, and Alias Nick Beale, no relation to this. Ali McBeal, just for clarity. <laughs> 
No relation to the terrible 90s Callista Flockhart star vehicle. And then what is really awesome is Jonathan Livington Seagull, um, based on Richard Bach's novel. That is also coming out. That It's got um, music by Neil Diamond, which a lot of people probably have heard the music if you, even, if you haven't even seen mm. the film. This is an epic, epic leap from our five film batches to these yeah. epic batch of, you know, if you're just talking about, if you're just talking about standalone films, there are definitely five, but there are box sets included too, plus TV. So um, we're going to have a lot to talk about and, and absolutely some massive blind spots for me in this. So I'm excited to dive into all of them. And yeah. Oh, I'm really excited. I'm kind of at a loss for words, to be honest. <laughs> this is an onslaught of some real classics. <laughs> And I believe this is the HD debut of Hard 8. Mm. So you know there are some physical media collectors that have been dying to get their hands on this in HD. And it looks like a lovely addition that I personally cannot wait to rewatch and get back into. Uh, oh, and, man, and, this... and already I can just say for folks who are listening, like I've been engaging with a few folks on Twitter who've been reaching out about the show, which is awesome. And when I've mentioned the October batch, when they've been talking about some of my favorite titles um, that have been coming up, you know, Night Falls on Manhattan has been one of those. Um, and as soon as I've mentioned, I cannot wait for the upcoming October batch for Hard 8. People are already saying... Is it region free? I need to know because if it's not, I'm getting mm. a region player because I need that in my collection. So um, yeah. it's it's definitely going to be exceptionally sought after. And again, limited edition slipcases only in the first 1500. Mm. So super excited about that one. And I would say, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this or not. I have uh, my player set to American region because I watch a lot of Criterions. Yes. But I don't usually change it back. So it's usually in the American region. I've not had a problem playing any of the imprint uh, labels so far. So I do think that if you're listening in region A, it's uh, just important and C. That's all I'll say. That's all I'll say. Yeah. And and I would say exactly the same thing because Alexia and I are both fans of Criterion and buying things from overseas and mine's pretty much permanently set mm -hmm. at region A until I get a message that says, you're in the wrong region, bro. And then I'll jump mismatched. out. Mismatched. You're mismatched. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I would say that it's a safe bet. If you're betting on on with Sydney on hard eight, it's a safe bet every time, baby. Oh, well, look, the safe bet is for you to continue listening to Imprint Companion. The safe bet is to find Alexi on Twitter and Instagram at This Is Alexi, to find myself at One Blake Minute, also on Twitter and Insta. You can find my great co-host on his many podcasts, but the main behemoth is uh, Total Reboot and the current Total Reboot thread is all john travolta all the time baby and it's exciting stuff you can find me on the one heat minute productions feed doing all the president's minutes miami nice increment vice is almost wrapping up um and if you are a supporter of our show we also have patreon i know that um the total respect is on the patreon of the total reboot guys mm -hmm. and rum and rant is on the one heat minute patreon <laughs> um so um look Thank you guys so much for listening. It's awesome to do this show for you and with you. We love um, DVD culture and physical media, so we're excited <laughs> to keep doing it for you. Um, you're not going to find two more people who are more excited. And uh, i gotta, I got to get the hell out of here, Alexi, because i got to go back and listen to Sydney Lumet's commentary of Night Falls in Manhattan again. Uh, I might chuck it on right now, dude. I've got a little bit of time before I go to bed. <laughs> I'm going to work off this whiskey I've been sipping on. <laughs> yeah, just work it off. Listen to Lou Matt, Hear him talk about Jimmy Gandolfini and how great he is. Oh, and, gosh. and just get excited. And you know what? He actually mentions the gravestone because he was like, it is funny that these two guys are father and son. They were so perfect as far as their yes. performances. And you picked up on it, mate. 
You are just dialed wow. into Lumet. My God. Well, you know, I got to recognize my hero. I've got his words pouring through my brain anyway. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you subscribe to Imprint Companion now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't rate and review Blake and Alexi's show, I will look for you. I will find you and I will kill you.